I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Well, there's no value-added manufacturing really in Hawaii. There's not, there's not really a lot of places that will you could take your product to and, and then they would manufacture it for you. What's the level amount that you need to know to stay in this kind of safe zone? So really having our own labs and our own systems is really important. Today, I'm joined by Bryn Foster, founder of Voyaging Foods based in Hawaii. Bryn founded her gluten-free artesian milling company in 2005 and does it all, from farming to distribution to studying and applying food science principles like water activity. Let's learn about Bryn's company and her desire to make indigenous plant products more accessible on water and food. Thank you, uh, the listener, for tuning in. We really appreciate your continued support. And I'm excited uh, to share with you a new guest. Today, we're joined by Bryn Foster from Hawaii. Uh, so why don't you say hi, Bryn? How are, how are things going? Aloha. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, of course. Um, and what island are you on? I'm on Oahu. I'm on the North Shore of Oahu, where you would see a lot of the big waves and um, you know, probably watching a lot of those surf contests and wishing you were there. Or a lot of people always say, oh, I wish I was there. It looks so amazing. <laughs> it's, you know, you don't need a filter over here on the North Shore. It's yeah, I've, I've been to Maui and it was probably a long time ago, but uh, it's, it's beautiful over there. Are, are you from Hawaii? My family's from Hawaii. So my, um, we have generations back from Maui and the Big Island. Mm-hmm. And so I was brought up in Southern California. And then as soon as I could move over to Hawaii after I graduated college, I took the chance and really wanted to get into, you know, what self-sustainability really was and what it looked like. Mm-hmm. So and, I think Hawaii a pretty good example of that, being in the middle of the ocean. And what did you study in college? Is this related uh, to your business now? I studied public relations and had a minor in business. So I think that it definitely helped um, kind of prepare me for some of the things that I do in business in my business now, definitely with publicity and communications and getting, you know, your branding story correctly Mm -hmm. um, and then making, you know, relationships with all the different media outlets and people. I think it definitely had a huge impact. But um, I think my I went to um, school also in Italy and France. And that's where I really got this sustainability, you know, component to this, to this making a business out of it. I, I just really love the idea of you went to the market every day for your food. You didn't just go to Costco and stock up for like, you know, a month on things. You really um, had more of this connection to farms and the land and what was fresh that day and heirloom, you know, handmade, homemade products. So I feel like that was really more about um a schooling than anything. Mm-hmm. And when did you found Voyaging Foods and where does that name come from? I founded Voyaging Foods um, in 2005 when my son was um, born. Well, it was the idea. I sort of was percolating the idea around then, um, but it really didn't come to fruition for a few years after that um, because I was so involved in my, you know, raising my, my baby. And uh, the name actually came several, several years. I would say like seven years after that. So I was kind of had this baby, but didn't name it. And I mean, the business was the baby. Um, Voyaging foods is a term that the Polynesians used for the a handful of a, a category or collection of plants that they brought on their ocean, ocean, um, ocean voyaging canoe, open ocean voyaging canoes that they sailed uh, throughout 
specific triangle and they brought with them a specific set of plants that would be everything they need for medicine, for their food, for building homes, for spiritual um, uses. So these plants were really kind of like the emergency kit of the Polynesian archipelago. So it's a very, um, they're, they're like what you would bring if you're, you know, deserted on a, on a isolated island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And if I understand this correctly, it's your goal to, to bring these foods and make them available to more people. Is that correct? It is. I really want to create access and availability for these foods that are kind of considered more novelty or niche. Um, you know, you probably wouldn't try taro or poi unless you were at a luau in Hawaii or Tahiti. Um, but in actuality, you know, taro and poi is something that we consider a very important food, staple food in Hawaii. It's something that we give for our babies as a first food because it's so high in fiber and it's one of the most hypoallergenic foods in the world um, due to its start at small starch granule size. So there's a lot of benefits that a lot of people don't know about with these canoe plants because they're underutilized. So they're part of the, there's something called the arc of taste in slow foods. Um, and so these are considered the arc of taste, which is, which is like the red list for animals where it's in, you know, can be, become extinct really easily if we don't, um, protect biodiversity within the plant. Mm -hmm. And where else are these plants being grown? Uh, I think in Florida, taro is considered a weed, I think, in Florida, because they it is pretty easy to grow. But some, a lot of places where there's swamp lands, you know, I even saw a lot of taro in, in Napa and in, uh, around a lake. Um, so wherever there's kind of, I think they kind of consider it like a swampy kind of plant, but it can be grown either dry land or wetland. Mm -hmm. um, but it's grown a lot in Southeast Asia, it's grown in Africa. Um, so these plants are, you know, mostly tropical, so wherever there's tropical environment. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're producing in a lot of rural areas. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the, the difficulties or the challenges associated with that. Well, we're producing meaning manufacturing or growing? Yeah, both. Are, are these both being done uh, rurally, or do you have kind of a, a combination? We want to promote the regional decentralized uh, manufacturing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I came to, you know, meet you all, because we want to promote rural farming and manufacturing rather than having to, you know, especially in Hawaii, there's maybe two places that, uh, well, there's no value-added manufacturing really in Hawaii. There's not, there's not really a lot of places that will, you could take your product to and, and then they would manufacture it for you. Um, so there's either, you know, you have to drive, if you're a farmer and you live 40 miles out of town um, on these windy rural roads, you know, it's, you're not going to want to drive into town to bring in your 50 pounds of taro to make a flower. Right. It's worth it. So we really want to promote more regional decentralized manufacturing hubs that farmers can really be a part of the equation um, and not getting the, you know, lesser amount of the farmer share of the dollar, which is normally like 14 cents. The farmers usually get about 14 wow. cents mm -hmm. share for the dollar. How many farmers are you working with right now? Wow. We, we're working with a lot. Um, you know, we work with, People indirectly, indirectly, like we were working with the Hawaii Blue Cooperative on the Big Island, and they have um, 
gosh, they're, they're increasing all the time, but they have hundreds and hundreds of acres that they work with. So we kind of think of it in acres. Um, and, you know, we work with small family farmers. So for us, you know, like 10 acres is big <laughs> in Hawaii um, because a lot of the small family farms we're lucky to have like one, one acre or two acres. Mm. Um, so, you know, right now in commercial production for taro growing, there's only 300 acres in the whole islands that are in commercial production. So one of our goals is to double that with canoe plants. So we want to see co-planting and, um, you know, food forests and permaculture things that incorporate more of co-planting and, and utilizing other plants so it not, it's not just monocropping. Mm -hmm. So we hope to, you know, really double that number and also increase food production. We want to double our food production. Um, right now we're importing 100% of our flour and 80% of all of our food in Hawaii, which is, just, you know, wow. <laughs> really scary. And um, so really having our own labs and our own systems is really important mm -hmm. in these regional areas. So, yeah, we're, we're working with, we want to at least increase our, you know, acreage. We want to see thousands of acres in production, but that's one of our benchmarks. And when are you hoping to hit that benchmark? Is this a 2021 goal? Is this a 2025 goal? And what are the steps that it's going to take to, to reach that goal? Oh, those are good questions. Um, <laughs> we, so the department, the, uh, the Hawaii's governor has a, um, there's called something called the Aloha Promise, which is based on the United Nations um, Sustainable Development Goals. We are working on, you know, sustainable cities, and we want to double our food production by 20, I think it's 2035, but we want to increase, we want to make that quicker to 2030. And um, we want to focus on the starch component, which is, you know, these flowers, these plants that we're making into flowers. And so we really want to see us, um, you know, bumping that up to 2030. And we're even thinking that we could increase the doubling our food production because we only produce like 20% of our total food. So doubling it will get 40%. But we think with the starch addition, which, you know, gets super into the weeds here, but we think we can do a lot better mm. by now we want to do it by 2025. <laughs> but I don't know if I just claim that on probably. I think, you know, 2030 is our goal, is the, is the big goal, but I think we can do it quicker by 2025. I know what, that. You... Oh, sorry. I was going to answer the other question of what needs to happen really quick is just build these um, micro units of manufacturing all around the islands. And that's what we're working on. And that's why the water meter is so important. Yeah. Why don't you touch on that? Um, how are you using a, a water meter and What's the process like? Are you using this in rural sites? Or are you just using this on finished uh, products? How are you using a water meter? We're using your water. Well, we're using the water meter in rural sites so that farmers can understand, you know, what their R&D looks like, what um, at what level they need to be food, you know, for the food safety protocols, um, for the you know good manufacturing practices all the standard operating procedures. These are terms farmers don't really need to deal with, but when you get into value-added manufacturing and taking you know, a raw product into a dried, which everybody wants to dehydrate right now from banana chips to flour to whatever it is, what's the level amount that you need to know to stay in this 
kind of safe zone. And that's where um, that's where we're, we're wanting to use more of these meters to give to the farmers as this is part of your toolkit to be, you know, autonomous and um, kind of your own boss so that you don't have to drive in and ship things in, but you can actually have a solar dehydrator on your farm mm-hmm. and then use the water meter when you see that, you know, okay, it's been this temperature for seven hours. It should be at our level. And it's a way for them to be transparent in their in their manufacturing. And then when you log it and you log it, um, then you'll be able to just have this transparency log to give to stores or farmers market or whatever it is because the regular the regulatory industry in Hawaii is um, really difficult for small farmers you know you just think that you can't you know how are you going to figure any of this stuff out um, so I think that's where these these micro units of um, dehydrating and milling and then offering the, the water meters with it as part of the process Mm-hmm. And part of this guidebook is really going to take our value-added and our farmers to a whole other level. And can you talk a little bit about um, your journey about learning about water activity and how you started to apply it to your work? Um, when did you have your aha moment and, and realize that w- collecting water activity was important to your process? Well, we were he- hearing about FISMA for a long time, and it was kind of this big, scary FISMA. Oh, my gosh, you need, you know great that you want to make all these fun little cookies and things and sell them to, you know, the farmer's market. But, you know, we got approached to sell to Whole Foods and we've been, you know, we were the first company to sell taro powder um, into Whole Foods with some, you know, packaged consumer goods as well. And, you know, they really kind of bumped us up into this like fun kind of hobby level to, you know, having to know what all of these food safety, HACCP. There wasn't HACCP when I started, but then when we, you know, thank God, because I probably wouldn't have wanted to go into the stores. Um, but we we had to, you know, Whole Foods was kind of the one that really pushed us into going into, you know, acting like a big company when we really are still small, but we had to think big. And and that's where we started to have to understand what food safety was. So we, you know, I um, enrolled in the HACCP class, which a lot of people were saying, well, as a small company, you really don't need to because there's a threshold. And But I think knowledge is power. And I really wanted to, I want to, you know, be small, but think big. And um, so I, you know, joined the HACCP classes. I joined every kind of class and learning that I could because I'm just, I love learning. And um, and then I even took it further. And since I enjoy farming, I um, I was part of an accelerator program called the um, well, it was for food safety. So I understood from the farming aspect, and then I understood from the kitchen manufacturing aspect. So I kind of had it all down the whole line of what was expected for transparency and good agricultural, good manufacturing practices. And I kind of understand now the you know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And how to be transparent about it. And water activity was part of, you know, the microbial and understanding like water. You know, you have, now I'm thankful for your videos because I was saying water, um, the other, <laughs> there's water activity and water retention. I think it was. Um, yeah, probably uh, water activity and moisture content. Yes, I was saying moisture content all the time until I, you know, really understood it from your videos. That's what I really kind of started to click because sometimes when you're just trying to 
you know, follow this past stuff and you're trying to follow what you're supposed to do, you don't always, it doesn't always click. Mm-hmm. So really kind of, I feel like there's like a little mini university that you guys are offering. And it really started to click when I watched your videos because I was sort of just like, okay, yes, we're doing this. Yes, we're doing that for all of the, what we need to do. But I wasn't really understanding it and getting into the science. Well, I'm really happy to hear that those have been helpful to you. And uh, I think a lot of people in your shoes and a lot of people in the food industry, they do know a lot about moisture content. It's a concept that sometimes makes more sense. Uh, but water activity can add a lot of insights on safety and quality. And it, it seems that that's what you are now using it for. Would you say that having that water activity information allows you to work as an independent lab um, instead of maybe relying on someone else to get you the data? I think so. I mean, if I would have known you guys 10 years ago, I mean, I started in 2005 and six, mm-hmm. and now it's 2020. Um, I was sending samples to labs all over the nation for 10 years, I would say a good 10 years. And it was thousands and thousands of dollars and a lot of waiting, a lot of time and um, shelf life, you know, these sort of things. And it was a real big barrier, especially for Hawaii businesses when we're so rurally located. And there isn't a lot of labs we can work with here. But not just that, you know, I just feel like that's a cost that food companies, food manufacturers, you know, sometimes they they might not, you know, have the money to do that or um, they feel, you know, maybe they can skimp on that. You know, I don't know. But having to be able to operate as your own lab but to understand these things and then to pass on this knowledge is really, I think, really important as, um, you know, because now we know, okay, if we dry a little longer or if we do this, we tweak this, it's, it's just so helpful. And I can't wait to, you know, invest in the um, shelf life and just everything you guys have. I mean, I'm excited. <laughs> like a new kind of hobby buying, you know, all the water meters. But <laughs> <laughs> Getting your own little uh, collection started. Um, but you're right. Water activity goes beyond just a single measurement. Um, if you create an, an isotherm, you can look at shelf life and you can look at packaging and you can understand temperature. Um, so these are all things that are important to your process and, and things that we can um, assist you with in the future. One thing I, I wanted to also ask you about was your uh, production of breadfruit flour. I understand this is one of your uh, biggest projects and I was wondering if you could tell us about maybe phase one and phase two and where that's going. Sure. Yeah, we got a grant um, in collaboration with the Hawaii Ulu Cooperative. And so we co-launched a program called the 30 by 30 Initiative, which is similar to what I was talking about with doubling our food production. Um, We want to replace 30% of the incoming flour that's imported into the state with our canoe plant flour. So whether it's ulu, breadfruit, um, you know, taro, and asking, you know, whether it's restaurants, or home bakers, you know, when you're using flour, just cut it with 30%. And, and that, you know, it's kind of like when you're trying to use brown rice, you'll start like adding a little brown rice to your white rice. And then eventually you're just going to go all brown rice because you start to, you know, get that um, taste for it. So we started, we launched this initiative and we just launched it actually a few months ago. Um, we did a huge survey, surveying, um, 
a lot of the population in Hawaii about flour, what they know about, you know, these new plant flowers. It's a gluten-free flour. So we're hoping, um, I think they're going to process 30,000 pounds of breadfruit, and then we're going to take a percentage and make flour out of it. So we'll have a few thousand pounds of flour, which has never been done in Hawaii at that scale. So it's really the first, the largest commercial scale production of breadfruit flour, um, I want to say in the United States. Mm -hmm. So we, um, you know, they have, they're a cooperative, so they have all the family farmers and they also have a large facility. They've got, you know, the, the structure that you need to do something like this. So we thought, you know, great giving them the money to actually buy the machines, buy the dehydrators, buy the, the mills, um, because they have the infrastructure and then they will be kind of the hub that we can create, you know, a value added manufacturer. And, and then, um, so we're working on the marketing part of it where we're going to market and sell some um, of the smaller packages for home users um, under five pounds. And then they're going to take the larger processors. They're going to use like, you know, 10 pounds, 25 pounds, which could be, you know, the restaurants and just getting it pushed out that way. Um, right now in Hawaii, um, we have the largest, well, I guess there's over 900 companies that have been shut down permanently because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those are restaurants and, you know, the hotels are, some of them, you know, the restaurants and the hotels are shut down. So the larger bulk of this flour will be, you know, probably a smaller, it'll take a while for that uh, market to come back. So we're really going to focus on our, you know, homemakers and our smaller kind of bakeries and stores. Um, so that's what this project is, and we're really excited about it. We really want to promote selling this and getting our community to um, to eat it first, and then we'll second phase be able to kind of ship it out around the nation. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, too. But Hawaiian, we believe the Hawaiian um, breadfruit is, you know, it tastes different. Hawaiian soil, you know, the volcanic soil is amazing, and we want to you know, build more of these value-added manufacturing systems where we understand um, how to be food sovereign because we also have control over our labs with water activity and, you know, food safety. So we're not just being kind of these, like, backyard programs, but we actually have global, you know, we can play globally because we know um, what our parameters are. And they'll be farmer controlled, which I think a lot of the flour, say breadfruit flour and things like that, not globally, are, you know, the, the small farmers are growing it, but I don't think sometimes they get to control a lot of it. You know, they probably have to send it off to labs and things. And I don't know if they have things like this that mm -hmm. give them the upper, you know, they can operate on their own, which is really important for island nations to be able to operate on their own with their own uh, tools for sustainability. And how can somebody listening to this podcast um, find your products? I know you mentioned Whole Foods earlier, um, but do you have a website or, or what other ways uh, can people find these indigenous plants or these indigenous products? We are online right now under voyagingfoods.com and the Hawaii Ulu Cooperative, which is um, also selling the flower as well. We hope to be... Um, you know, right now we're, we're in Hawaii um, because of what our, you know, we're importing 80% of our food and 100% of our flowers. So we're working on um, direct-to-consumer in Hawaii right now. Um, and we really just, you know, a lot of my, I have a lot of mentors in this industry, General Mills, 
um, was one of them. Bob Threadmill was one of them. Um, and they gave me some really great advice. And they said, just really be great regionally and just, you know, focus regionally. And that's where all of the success stories happen. You know, don't always try and be globally and nationally and be in every store. Um, so I'm really taking that to heart. And I think that's where our success story is, is just, you know, being really Mm-hmm. on our region and and i think we're doing that um so for now it's online um until you come to hawaii <laughs> but, <laughs> but i think there's a lot of companies that are also wanting to you know buy the ingredient and then make their own bakers out of it which we're very you know excited for that too because we want to create more access and availability and this this provides that with the shelf life you know um a year or more shelf life so we can extend our harvest. So we're excited, and we'll probably be um, in more, you know, online. We were we were working on being on Hawaiian Airlines um, before COVID. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of you know big opportunities. We're just we're we're excited to you know work on creating our community right now. And there's a lot of people here, so we're we've got our <laughs> work card out for us. On top of the tourists, when they do start to come back, um, we have enough right now <laughs> well I, I really like that mentality of just kind of focusing regionally or focus on what you're doing and then go from there I, I think that uh, is going to lead to a lot of success for you um, I, I have one last question um, you know I, I have a lot of respect for you because you wear a lot of different hats you know you're not just a, a founder you're a farmer you're a manager uh, you look at the the distribution of your products you know you've trained yourself to, to be a food scientist on some level um, so <laughs> You know, somebody listening to this podcast who's in a, a similar situation or, you know, someone who, who may be like a, a 2005 version of you just getting started, what advice would you give to that person? I would advise them to, you know, find a mentor. I was always looking for mentors. That's why I went to Bob Dreadmill and I talked to him and he walked me around his facility and I saw his mills and I, you know, saw everything he was doing and he gave me such great advice and he was reachable um, and, you know, talking to the guys at General Mills, you know, they, they've they just come so far, you know, with all of their regenerative focus. So I think, you know, always look for the mentor, look for the people that are doing things that you want to do or that you like to do um, and then do them on your scale and don't worry about being small because the people that are really um, – you know, good at, they'll find you and, and, or you'll find them because, you know, you both kind of will attract each other is how mm-hmm. I feel and how I've always been able to operate as well as the people that are supposed to be with me, you know, are, and the ones I'm supposed to meet, I always do. It's, it's, I think that like, you know, uh, law of attraction sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. being um, focused. And being and you know focusing because when I started I was like I had all these different products and I was trying to do this and do that, um, but I think focusing and not thinking that you have to do so many things. I mean, having so many products, but even if you come out with one and you do really good with that one, um, and you keep your inventory really tight, I think keeping inventory tight for whatever you're doing is like biggest advice I would have. And then finding, you know, the people that you really want to work with or or um, admire and, you know, being a part of, you know, listening to whatever they're doing or 
and then trying to work with them too. You know, I'm always looking for people I can mentor and because I always wanted one. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I admire your persistence and I'm really excited to, to watch your company grow. Um, and I, I hope to have you back sometime. Maybe we can check in uh, sometime in 2021 and, and see what's going on and uh, see how your, your company continues to grow. So I just want to thank you again, Bryn, for being on Water and Food. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Aloha. I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.